Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. Welcome to Sawbones, a marital tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. This episode to me, Sid, feels like uh, like a scene from Speed, you know, where the pressure's really on and they don't know how long they have before the bus explodes. Well, we really decided to make this as intense as possible by recording while our children are awake and with us. Like, there's no other adults. They're here. To help us They're with here. them at the moment. And so we're um, we're letting the television babysit our children. Yes, and thank you to Lanky Box for all the help today. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Lanky Box. No, that's not true. That's it's not. not. No, that's no. Not, they could no. afford to give us some money if they wanted to. No, that's not true. Um, but we are we are going to do our best to um, record a whole podcast without. <laughs> Parenting, <laughs> and if they if we don't succeed in this run, you'll never know because we'll find some other yeah. magical, <laughs> mysterious time that we haven't discovered yet. Um, um, no, and it and it's especially important. So our children, while they're not being watched, they're they're right outside the door. I don't want to I don't want to misconstrue that they're unsafe. They're yeah, right outside the door. Right they're fine. The door. They're absolutely they're fine. fine. They're right there. They but can, at they, any moment that could cease being true, and the but, episode will stop. But I did also not want them like physically right next to us as we talked about this topic because this topic is of a sexual nature. Ooh. And I am not ready to discuss this topic with our nine or five-year-old. Okay. And I tell you this so that if you have anyone younger who listens to our show, we are, we will be discussing a sexual topic. Ooh. So use use your own discretion as to who is, who is uh, mature enough to hear this. I can tell how comfortable you are with that by your completely (laughs) normal tone of voice. The same way you always sound. Like a greeter at medieval times, <laughs> ushering people to their table for their uh, mutton. I can I can talk. It's the there are some younger people who listen to our show, and I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable. Um, Adrian sent us this topic. Thank you, Adrian. I had never heard of spermatorrhea. Um, me either. N- nor had I heard of sp- spermatomania. Whoa, that one's a little bit more wild, huh? Which is related to spermatorrhea. Uh, so, Justin, you're not familiar with spermatorrhea. I am not. It is, and it, could you guess what you think it is? There's a, there's sperm is at the top there. Yep. And there's that rhea, uh-huh. which which is an R R H E A rhea. O R R H E A. Rhea is like diarrhea. Yeah. T- so tons of sperm shooting out everywhere. Yeah, that's basically it. Okay, that's great. more or less it. Yeah, it's so it's not necessarily shooting out though. It's sort of just like the con- the cons- the constant. 
consistent leakage of sperm, of semen. Oh. It's just kind of like dripping out. A-B-J. A-always-B-B-J. Well, you know. Did you mean E? A. Always. B. B. Uh-huh. J. Oh, I thought you meant ejaculating. That's, That's actually you. better. Let me switch yeah. to yours. A always, always B B E ejaculating. Mm-hmm. That's yes. better. That's what that's what it was. Well, and see, I assume what you were making uh, reference to was a, a crude euphemism. Yes, inappropriate for masturbation. No, for or or um, or orgasming from oh, the penile oh, area. Another J. A lot of J words associated with that. There. Yes, I don't know why that might be. Okay. Um, no, I, but it's interesting though, because specifically there was a concern. And by the way, I want to focus on this, like the spermatorrhea kind of, uh, panic that happened mostly in, in Western medicine. Um, especially when we're looking at like the 1800s, because this is really something that by the time we hit like the turn of the century into the year 1900, this is something that would fade away really quickly. And now if you talk about spermatorrhea, for the most part in like Western medicine, it's not something that exists. There's still some corollaries to what I'm talking about in like Ayurvedic medicine Mm -hmm. or traditional Chinese medicine, because I think it depends on what your culture like what sort of stress and importance it places on semen and sperm and what that means to your general health and wellness. Okay. But I'm I'm focusing specifically on this chapter of medical history where mainly, I mean, like European, American, mainly British, mainly British men got really worried about sperm constantly leaking out. Okay. Because what's interesting about it is that it probably wasn't happening, but it became incredible. It was like the the hysteria equivalent for people with Are we penises. Like urban legend, like I heard from a friend no. of a friend that this was there was a guy that was always ejaculating. Well, like no, like um, there, there's no such thing as hysteria, really, right? Right. Like nobody's uterus is moving around inside their body and making them do different things. Correct. Okay. Nobody was just constantly leaking. Well, at least. The people who were diagnosed with spermatorrhea were not actually walking around leaking semen all the time. Okay. They were a victim of the uh, the restrictive Victorian culture. Oh. Okay. So at the time, there was already this concern about masturbation. And this is really kind of where spermatorrhea starts to arise. So – we we already have um, published back in the 1700s books about the dangers of masturbation and yes. how um, not not just from like a religious perspective, a moral perspective, like masturbation is like something you should feel guilty about, but also that it like has a physical effect on. Um, how strong you are, how healthy you are, how virile you right. are. So basically you're robbing your virility by uh, by masturbating. Right, right. Because um, like keeping the right balance of semen is incredibly important right. to your health. Yes. Um, and this like even dates back to kind of like the humors. Semen was one of the things that you had to either – like even in the Greek tradition, like you could release – you could intentionally. Now the Greeks were okay with masturbation. They were like, "Yes." I mean, you know, Shock, they were right. Shocker. Like they were okay with it because sometimes, like, you needed to masturbate in order to get rid of extra. 
semen and certainly something like a nocturnal emission. Yeah. Do you know what that is? Yes, and I do. Would you like to share the, uh, in layman's terms, what is a nocturnal emission? Oh, I'm, you always come to me for the layman's stuff. I appreciate it. I believe uh, that would be what we in the medical community do not call a wet dream. A wet dream. Uh, and that would have been like something that you needed, your body needed to do, perhaps, to balance out mm-hmm. the amount of semen. Um, but either way, like, we already had this kind of cultural understanding that semen is very important. Yes. And having the correct amount is very important. It ref- There's this reference from, this is from an Ayurvedic text, where they say that it takes 40 meals to make a drop of blood. It takes 40 drops of blood to make one drop of bone marrow, and it takes 40 drops of bone marrow to make one drop of semen. So there you go. That's, that's where semen ranks. That's wild to think about, Sid. That's f- the fact that that is true is- No, wait, that's not true. Okay. That's definitely not true. But like, that's, that's I, I think, just to show you that like, this idea that we, as we enter the 1800s, we have a lot of people who are very concerned about not masturbating. Yes. <laughs> or masturbating the appropriate amount if there is such a right thing. Right down the middle. Right. The person who picks up on that is uh, Claude Francois Lalamond, who publishes um, in this practical treatise about lots of different stuff mm-hmm. about medicine because mm-hmm. uh, he, me- he was a professor. He, he also talked about specifically that whether we're talking about masturbation or nocturnal emissions, wet dreams, these are things that are degrading men. These are things that are sort of like disrupting your your general health and wellness and that will not just make you like less masculine, but will make you generally sick. Men don't need help degrading themselves. (laughs) We're doing fine. And this really seized on... It's interesting because I think that we have this perception that, like, our concept of masculinity and how it relates to, like, sexual virility has always been kind of static. Like, if you're really masculine, and I'm talking in very, like, generic, stereotypical, you know, heteronormative terms. If you're very masculine, then you like to have sex and you— want to do that a lot and so you would engage in sexual activities a lot whether those be alone or with others right right and that all of that is acceptable and and even like uh, applauded in someone who is masculine Mm -hmm. this is not true if we look at the 1800s specifically um there's a definition of masculinity that has a lot to do with self-restraint your ability to recognize those urges and triumph over them Exactly. Yes. In order to preserve that, you know, vital essence, very literally, the (laughs) liqueur of life, if you will, Mm -hmm. you were semen. And so it wasn't enough just to um, be tough and be strong and be masculine. You you did want to have sex. Don't get it. Don't get it twisted. But specifically, and this was really like a a disease that mainly plagued middle class men Mm -hmm. because- if you were if you were very wealthy, then there was this sort of societal understanding that you were prone to decadence. There mm. were things that the very wealthy could engage the pleasures in. pleasures of the flesh. And we don't talk about it or think about it. Mm-hmm. Well, no, we think about it. We but do. we're very Victorian, so we certainly don't talk about it. And But we accept that, like, there's a level of wealth where we don't question or— You're just going to have to do it a bunch. Yeah. And then there is—on uh, and then there is a on the other end of the spectrum— mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people in the lower classes were considered to be more like 
well, they would give in to their animal instincts. Makes sense. You know, they would um, engage in like sex with somebody, like a sex worker, you know, and that was not something that if you were like in that middle class, you were not supposed to do those things. You wouldn't, those were considered morally incorrect. So you wouldn't engage, you know, with a sex worker. Uh, You were supposed to wait till marriage, and that was across the board. Yeah. Like everybody was supposed to wait till marriage. That yeah. was very much an ideal of the time. So you wouldn't just go have sex with people to, you know, enjoy it. Yes. There has to be purpose. <laughs> but you couldn't be decadent and then like go masturbate because. You get chafed. Well, and that, again, that was, that would betray, like you have no self-control. Okay. And so enter into this sort of attitude, this concept of because doctors started writing up these case studies of men who are walking around with, and here are the symptoms that they started to have of spermatorrhea. They could have the continual leakage of semen from their penises. Well documented. They could have frequent um, ejaculations without being able to like predict control. Basically like every, there there were men who reported every time I look at an attractive woman, I just ejaculate. (laughs) And I can't stop it. <laughs> um, <laughs> that could be a symptom of sporadic. that in Porky's movie. Uh, there were definitely <laughs> cases where people said, you know, I have premature ejaculation um, or impotence could be a symptom of spermatorrhea. Right. I know that sounds like the opposite, right? Like, what do you mean? Hey, wh- wh- which one is it? Yes. Is it all the time or is it ever? Come on, choose a side. And... And so because there was already so much conversation around when and how and who can <laughs> ejaculate, yeah. as doctors and especially surgeons, this really was, and this was a time in medical history where physicians and surgeons were very separate. And they occupied different realms of sort right. of like the social strata. And I think that's important in understanding why this became so incredibly popular for a very brief period of history and then vanished. So physicians were regarded as like of a higher status. Than surgeons. Yes, than yeah. surgeons. And so like a physician didn't spend a lot of time touching people. Most surgeons, surgeons use Mr., right? Like mm-hmm. most surgeons At the time, pretty, yeah. Yeah, yeah they, they didn't even use the term doctor. And their training was totally different. They were derived from the barber surgeons. So their right. training oftentimes was more like an apprenticeship and was very unstructured. Whereas at this point in medical history, you would have expected someone who had the title physician to have gone to a university, to have studied, and was probably what we would consider kind of like your like um, renaissance, mainly men at the time, man, who like understood the classics, spoke multiple languages, you know, was very cultured. Yes. And, and went through a formal training where as a surgeon at the time could have been anything. Right. You know, there were surgeons who actually had done surgery and then there were people who – A lot harder, a lot harder to separate the good from the bad back then. Exactly. Sure. And so you have physicians who do not touch the body really. I right. mean they have limited examination but most of what they do is within the mind and then they tell you what to do. Yes. Surgeons touch humans. Yeah. And so there was this sort of like – their status was considered lower because there was something inherently kind of um, common common about that. Yes, about engaging with a physical body. You have um, to use your hands. It's like a baby game. <laughs> and surgeons were the ones who really focused on spermatorrhea in part probably because this would have been the same strata of society who was suffering from spermatorrhea. Yeah. They the, were also these same middle the class doctors, men. it's beneath them. This isn't a problem. No, that we doctors have. would never. Doctors would never. But surgeons. <laughs> surgeons. But surgeons. 
Um, and so what happened is that surgeons really seized upon this concern for spermatorrhea mm-hmm. and began advertising very heavily that this is something that can strike anyone anywhere, um, that can be a real plague on not just a person's health, but on their family, you know, on the on society, their productivity in the workplace, the health of their marriage, if they're masturbating or seeking, you know, sex elsewhere outside their marriage. These mm-hmm. are things that are concerning. And so they ver- they really started publicizing this as kind of the scourge of our times. So because it was surgeons, were they did they start looking for a surgical fix? Yes. And by the way, just to give you an example of some things that like they would tell you like spermatorrhea, these are all the things that it could present as. And they would warn you like anything can trigger this, by the way. Anything can be trigger this. Be on the lookout. This. So be on the lookout because soft beds, flannel trousers, sitting in front of a fire, a full bladder, <laughs> sleeping on one's back, thunderstorms, or sitting in railway carriages could all be triggers for spermatorrhea. All thing, all all the modern dangers could be <laughs> triggers for the new American import baseball. Perhaps and a peach a peach Melba that's too decadent could cause it. Any of these things could trigger you to have spermatorrhea, and certainly, of course, masturbation was one of the worst things you could do. Um, and so, surgeons had pretty. Um, I would say drastic solutions to this because it was considered such a big deal, right? right? Like, I mean, we're talking about threatening with the very essence of who at that time in history a man would have thought he was. You're losing it. And so in the face of such a a dire ailment, I think inserting something into the urethra is the very least we can do. It's worth a shot at least. So I'm going to tell you exactly what you're going to put in there. Oh, wait, no, no, no. You need to watch your pronouns because I'm not putting anything in there. <laughs> but first, we got to go to the billing department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier than you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going Squarespace, to— Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool—think of it as— the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McElroy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McElroy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts, and that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although 
there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes, you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week, I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I mean, filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes, smoothies. They got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious. And the meals you just eat and eat. There's no prepping, cooking, or clean up. Get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week. You're going to get exactly what you want. No surprises here. Uh, f- and the meals, I can say, are delicious. So what do you got to lose? Head on over to factormeals.com slash sawbones50 and use code sawbones50 to get 50% off. That's code sawbones50 at factormeals.com slash sawbones50 to get 50% off. What is up, people of the world? Do you have an argument that you keep having with your friends and you just can't seem to settle it? And you're sitting there arguing about whether it's Star Trek or Star Wars, or you can't decide what is the best nut, or can't agree on what is the best cheese. Stop doing that. Listen to We Got This with Mark and Hal, only on Max Fun. Your topics asked and answered objectively, definitively, for all time. So don't worry, everybody. We, we got, got this. this. We got this. All right, Sid, are we fixing this or what? I mean, it's not really a problem, but like if it was, we <laughs> would be fixing it. But if it was, we it. would totally be fixing yeah. it right now. Um, and by the way, a lot of this, there's a great article um, called Body Doubles, The Spermatory of Panic by Ellen Bayek Rosenman from um, the Journal of History and Sexuality or Journal of History of Sexu- Sexuality from 2003. And um, thank you to my friend John for helping me get this. Thanks, John. Article that uh, details a lot of, like, the psychological side of this, like, that helped me understand the time period and, like, what was going on societally that made it so ripe for something like this. Um, so anyway, uh, a, a treatment that they would commonly use is cauterization. And so, first of all, you empty the bladder. So, first, we're going to stick a catheter in there and get all the pee out of you, okay? Okay, thank you. Then we're going to take something called a bougie, which is a long, thin— It's what? Bougie. A bougie? Mm -hmm. Okay. It's a long, thin metal instrument. Cute name for something that doesn't sound too cute. You put something on the end that's caustic, something that's going to irritate and blister the skin. Okay. A, A very common thing would be, like, silver nitrate. Which uh, we even use today, like you might see silver nitrate applied to stop like bleeding or like granulate or like if a wound isn't healing correctly, sometimes oh, okay. you'll see a surgeon do this. Okay. Um, anyway, I, I so silver nitrate is something that we still use today for c- certain things, but not in this way. Okay. So what you would do is you put some silver nitrate on the end of the bougie and you would insert it into the urethra. And what you are trying to do is basically kill any nerve endings. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yes. Um, Now, like, doctors would tell you, like, this is going to hurt. Yeah. It will not be pleasant. It will not be pleasant. And it could kill you. (laughs) 
That was part of the warning because it was a very drastic. Like, let it go. Like, wow. Yikes. So, but they would, they would do that. And I mean, most of the time it wasn't going to kill you, but they did preface with that. Like, this is a big, intense, serious thing we're doing. Um, And uh, after you inserted it in there, and it might take a couple, although many doctors noted that, like, usually they didn't come back for a second one. Yeah, they were good. Uh, The idea is that it would help you master. No, it would help you master the urge to masturbate. It would help you master your penis Mm. because it would it would not be so sensitive anymore. It would not you would not feel urges and excitement and arousal like you did before. Okay, and so you would be in more control of that. Got it. And then and I mean part of this too. This isn't like an attempt to never have sex. The idea is to rein it in so that you can just use it when you should. And when you do use it, it works really well. That's the other part of it. Because what they would promise you is like, you won't get aroused on the train anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you won't get aroused every time you sit in front of a fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the warnings. But when you are with your wife in your marital bed. Near your fireplace. You can get hard and have an orgasm. <laughs> Doctor, I've been coming to see you for a while, and I'm not sure you're comfortable talking about this. Every time you do, you put bigger and bigger gaps between your words. And, Doctor, I'm not sure that you're as comfortable with this procedure as you say. Now, this this was one of the treatments, and this was a pretty common one. Um, there were other ways that they went about treating it. Um, you could apply leeches to the anus. Perfectly reasonable. Um the gen- the usual things, diuretics, things that make you pee, laxatives and enemas, clean you out, make you poop. Um, because, I mean, we're still we're still in a time where, like, constipation is such a scourge, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we, we're, we're not into the real thick of that when constipation is, like, responsible for all the evils of mankind, but right. we're getting there. Um, and then, and, like, a variety of, like, suppositories that you could insert with, like, opium and things like that. There are some diagrams of these metal rings— Ooh, that you oh. could put around your penis um, that would... And, and, I mean, I feel like if you put this four-pointed urethral ring around your penis, like, you're oh, not going to do no. anything with oh, it. Oh, no! Sydney! It's just like, a, it's a ring. It's got a cute little bow on one side, and it's got four spiky things pointing out of the inside of it. I How know. How did you show me that? It's like a little Iron Maiden for your penis. Ah. Oh. Um, how have we never covered this chapter of medical history this before? This is rough. Well, I mean, I will say that it is. I do you know what? Do you know what? I think it a part of it is. Well, I don't know why we've never covered it, but it. I I keep thinking this sounds. I think it's uh just seems so surprising that this happened to men. <laughs> right. It just seems like so 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 much like what what we would do to people who were not. Cis men, it's it's very strange. It, middle middle class cis men, I know it. It really and I, even in that article that I that I referenced, that's discussed early on, is that like this kind of thing fits very firmly into what we understand about medical history. Like we um, medicalize and sort of science something. <laughs> if I, I'm using science as like an adjective, yeah, you science. We yeah. science up something that's really just like a moral <laughs> thing. Or a religious thing, and we try to science it up so that we can then inflict some sort of order on humans. And it's generally used 
on marginalized populations of people, people who like we we want to control. It's like a tool of oppression. Usually. Exactly. Right. It is it is unusual to see it used on middle class cis, probably largely white men. Yeah. It it is unusual. It's chilling. I mean, um, I think we're all pretty unnerved by it. Uh, I think I feel like we all are. But the the undoing of it is that it was clearly so ridiculous and um, painful and unpopular. I yeah, mean, I, I have to imagine un- unpopular. Because what happened very quickly is that as as actual surgeons. And I mean, I think this is kind of the way this seemed to break down. Actual surgeons were actually concerned about something that my, they thought was real. Mm-hmm. And they came up with treatments that they thought would help. They publicized this very strongly to try to gain legitimacy. Right. Look, it's, we are not bad. It's a sickness. <laughs> Don't blame us. Don't blame us. It's an illness. Um, what immediately happened, as happened with a lot of different ail- ailments of the time, and and heck, even now, is that a bunch of quacks, got on you board. know, got yeah. on board and said, yeah, we're really concerned about it, too. All <laughs> of us who are surgeons, as far as you, you don't know what a yeah, surgeon yeah, is. Right? Like, anybody could be a surgeon right now. I'm a surgeon, and I'm very concerned about it, too. And I have a lot of treatments for you, and they do cost money, but I can fix it. And so what you had was, like, this basically made up. And I'm not saying there's no reason that you might not ever leak semen or that certainly these other issues like premature ejaculation or, you know, erectile dysfunction, all those things are real things. But this as a sort of like hysteria, as a one fit, you know, one size fits all, catch all, anything that's wrong that makes you like less masculine than we think you should be is all spermatorrhea. That is not a thing, right? Like that is not a real thing. You had both surgeons who were legit saying, well, no, it's real, but we have the real treatments. And then quacks saying, yeah, no, it's definitely real. (laughs) What were those guys? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they're right. And so (laughs) that was really where you see like the undoing of spermatorrhea is as as there became this huge – and I mean there were tons of pamphlets and advertisements. I mean you can imagine like newspapers filled with advertisements. It it very much reminds me – of the commercials for low T. Really? Yeah. This is very much the vibe of what this would have been. Like, are you low testosterone Sydney? Yes. Low testosterone. Well, and, but I mean, if you've seen the commercials on TV, they they pitch it as low T. They say low T because it sounds like rebrand. That's the low testosterone rebrand, right? Right. I mean, but, and it like, and it's the same thing where there are real legitimate medical concerns. Certainly some people have low testosterone. There are real reasons why we prescribe testosterone. There are myriad reasons. However, everything that makes you feel bad cannot be blamed on low testosterone. And those commercials would lead you to be uh, believe otherwise. And I say it's I would say it was probably the same at the time for spermatorrhea. There were real reasons you could be sick, but everything was blamed on this. And so you could go to any of these, you know, fake doctors with fake cures and fake surgeons with fake cures. And they would um, probably not do, I mean, and this is this is a, another common theme. They probably weren't doing the same things that the surgeons were doing. Their treatments were probably a lot milder. Yeah. Most of the time, you probably would walk away happier just because nobody stuck silver nitrate yeah, in they, your and they were they were absolutely selling that. Like, don't go to those butchers over there. They're yeah. just going to, yeah. You would go to, you would go to one of these guys who would just like give you some herbs, you know, or like, Heck, it was probably some sort of syrup made with like opium and maybe cocaine too, and also alcohol. Yeah, 
And they were like, take this. And you were like, yes. Okay, yeah, as long as keep it that guy away with the <laughs> knives and what all. I love this stuff. And then you don't even think about it anymore. But anyway, the actual surgeons started to kind of pull back from spermatorrhea as this um, sort of hysteria-like ailment that plagues all men and started to say, you know what, actually, we, we probably were wrong. This probably was a lot, it probably is a lot less common. Actually, actually it's super <laughs> uncommon. We're really sorry. Actually, maybe nobody has it now that we really think about it. And so just as you have certain, like, doctors, like, writing nonstop about, like, everybody has spermatorrhea and every patient I see has spermatorrhea. And, like, even one doctor who wrote about, like, I actually, um, I like to make sure and cauterize my urethra every single day just as a matter of what maintaining. Which, by the way, like, if that's your thing, that's fine. But do not... Give that as medical advice. <laughs> Do not. <laughs> we all have our things. Yeah, everybody's got to do their thing. It's everybody's fine. got a thing. It does not mean it's medical advice. Don't project your thing on the no. all of us. I, I leave any things out of this podcast. You don't get to know things. <laughs> you know, actually, you don't get to know medical advice either. You just yeah. get to know what not to do. So even as this was happening, you had actual surgeons of the day who were coming out and saying... No, okay, okay. I think, hey, fellas, I think we got carried away. And so what you started to see, and like specifically there was a surgeon, um, Mr. Courtenay was his Mm. last name, and he wrote a ton about cases of spermatorrhea. And what you really see are the beginnings of some really healthy discourse about Mm -hmm. like the psychological impact of toxic masculinity and like your, your like constrained gender role in society and also like, religious trauma from like why it's bad to masturbate and all this stuff. And you see these kinds of conversations he's having with patients where he's like, you know, maybe, maybe the reason you couldn't make love to your wife is because you just told me that you went overseas and had a ton of affairs and then you came back and you felt really guilty. And like, maybe it's that and not spermatorrhea. And, And maybe we don't need to cauterize your urethra Maybe you just need to, like, have some couples therapy, you know? Like, and you start to see the beginnings of some real conversations about that. And again, and that's not to say, I I am not in any way suggesting that all cases of erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation or anything like that are psychological in nature. But it was beginning to recognize that sexual behavior and sexual function is very much tied up, right, with our morals and our ethics and our beliefs and our spirituality. Like, all of that is in us. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to the sex act, sometimes you can't untangle it. Yeah, and it can impact, like, your sexual health and your sexual function and your ability to achieve whatever your sexual goals Goal. are. Your sexual goals. <laughs> whatever they are. And so you see more and more surgeons starting to write, like, ah, I don't think spermatorrhea is anything. Um, and it really, like, uh, James Paget, who's a famous surgeon from the time period, um, you know, writes towards the end of the 1800s, like, there is, uh, you know, this is not, whatever Lalamond was describing is not a thing. I have never seen a case, basically. It's like, like, here not- I am, a famous surgeon. I've seen tons of people with tons you of problems. You all know how famous I am, right? I- I've-, I've never seen it. <laughs> I've never seen a case and, you know, maybe maybe we kind of got carried away with this whole thing about spermatorrhea and maybe we were all just talking about masturbation too much. Um, and so then it kind of goes away. And like it really by like the 1900s, 
at least in the West, we're not talking about it as much. And now again, I know there are other medical traditions, like I said, like traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic medicine, where like the concept of keeping your semen in balance with sure. other, you know, vital fluids and stuff like that does persist. Um, but in terms of Western medicine, that was really the the end of it. And it really is this sort of, I think it, I think you can liken it to hysteria. Hysteria was often used, it was a fake thing, and mm-hmm. it was a way of controlling women of the time to make them behave the way women, in parentheses, were, or in quotes, not parentheses, <laughs> women in quotes, were supposed to behave. Yes. I think this is a very similar thing that happened to men. And wow. I just now learned about it. Sydney, I accept your apology on behalf For of For what all, now? From doctors to people with humans, we accept your apology. It's hard, you know. Mm-hmm. History is not kind to us very often. What, to you, cis men? Well, that's going to do it for us, uh, <laughs> Would you folks. like to expand on that? Uh, that's going to do it for us, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of the Virus Song of Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. And thanks to you for listening. We appreciate it. It's going to do it for us for, uh, for now. Until next time, my name is Justin McElroy. I'm Sydney McElroy. And as always, don't drill a hole in your head. Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.